Hello. You are listening to En Her Element podcast, featuring Maria Elena Marroquin and Leo Cadia Chuafe. Enjoy the show. Everyone, welcome back to Andre Element. My name is Leah Kadiat Chwafe, and I am here with a awesome guest today, um, Eileen Bobowski. Um, she is the director of the Sewing Labs located in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, and you know, during this time of March, we've really been talking about um, women that we like we've had women that we like and admire come on the podcast we've been talking about our experiences as women and i definitely want to change up a little bit still on the topic of women but i want to interview someone who's doing a great impact in the Kansas City community um through her organization um empowering women to be self-sufficient and be independent and to get back on their feet um, so without further ado, I'm going to pass on to Eileen and I just, I just want to talk to you about the Sewing Labs, your organization and the awesome work that it's doing. Um, but tell us a bit about yourself first before we dive in. Oh, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with you today. I really appreciate the opportunity. So I am actually originally a Chicago born and raised gal. Um, okay. I grew up sewing. My mother sewed, my sister sews, uh, my husband sews, my children sew. So it's kind of kind of in my blood. It's sort of like that scene from that movie, My Cousin Vinny, where she's talking about um, how can she testify about being an auto mechanic? Well, it's, all, it's in her family, right? Same thing for me with sewing. So I'm originally from Chicago. I was in the corporate world for many, many years. And there's a big card company here in Kansas City that lured me to Kansas City. And um, unfortunately, I was impacted by their decision to get out of a certain business. And so I found myself out of work and found myself actually uh, in the nonprofit realm um, that was really attractive to me. And so uh, I worked in the nonprofit world for the past few years. And this opportunity came up here at the Sewing Labs. And here I am. Awesome. Can you tell us um, about the Sewing Labs? Like, what is the Sewing Labs? What was the inspiration for the idea? Sure, I'd be happy to. You definitely (laughs) mentioned sewing, but like, what is it? How did it start in? All that nice stuff. Yeah, I love it. Uh, And I love to share this story. So, yeah. Back in the mid-2000s, there were two women who lost everything. Uh, Homes, businesses, um, one of them will actually tell you she was getting ready to move into a shelter with her two children. And instead, they dug out what I like to refer to as their high school sewing machines. Back in our day when we graduated high school, we had sewing as part of the curriculum in high school. And when you graduated, um, if you were lucky, you got a graduation gift of a brand new sewing machine. So these two women, that was their experience. And so they dug out their machines and they started sewing pillows for a a soft goods furnishing company here in Kansas City called uh, Nell Hills. 
Lawrence. They used to be located up in Atchison. They were a destination location. They've now relocated to Briarcliff here in Kansas City. And and the people at Nail Hill said, well, could you sew 200 pillows a week? And they're like, um, sure. They're just these two women entrepreneurs in their basement with their sewing machines. And about the same time, Sister Berta at Operation Breakthrough, which is another local nonprofit, was starting a program called 100 Jobs for 100 Women. And she said, who will hire a woman? And one of our founders, Kelly, was like, I will. We have 200 pillows a week we need to sew. So we've got for those pillows. <laughs> and so they... Um, they focused on women who were dealing with generational poverty, substance abuse and recovery, formerly incarcerated, immigrants, refugees, veterans dealing with PTSD. And they wow. built a very successful soft goods furnishing company called We've Got You Covered, W-E-A-V-E. Oh, that's and- I love that. <laughs> At the same time, they brought in a person who had over 40 years of retail sewing experience. And this friend of theirs was like, wait a minute, we should be teaching people to sew for employment or for entrepreneurship or just for enrichment. And so in 2016, they started teaching classes. Uh, One of the first classes that they taught was one called Sewing as a Universal Language to a partner nonprofit who had an ESL program that started with the Don Bosco Centers. And that's now grown into a partnership that we have with Literacy KC, where we're working with immigrants and refugees teaching a class. But Don Bosco was renovating a community center in the Columbus Park neighborhood, and they asked us to become a tenant in this building. So we actually used to operate out of the back of We've Got You Covered in about (laughs) 900 square feet. And we um, moved uh, a couple of years ago into 4,000 square feet. And part of the impetus for our move not only was the invitation from Don Bosco Centers, but um, Lonnie, who was uh, one of our founders, um, called up our board president one day and said, I accidentally hit send on a grant application. (laughs) (laughs) It was a grant application with the um, Kauffman Foundation locally here. And they ended up loving what was proposed. And that was this idea of the sewing salon uh, training program, kind of an entrepreneurial program where we teach people to sew um, and encourage them to seek entrepreneurialism. And at the same time, we would rent out machines for them to grow their businesses. And what that grant allowed us was to fund 10 new pieces of industrial equipment and two part-time teachers and some student stipends. Well, that ended up coming to fruition. The uh, the Kauffman Foundation loved our application. And now we were in 900 square feet and we've got 10 new pieces of industrial equipment we've got to find room for. So the timing for Don Bosco Centers to invite us to become a tenant in 4,000 square feet was perfect. And so that's allowed us to build a really... um, well-rounded room. We, we now have over $150,000 worth of equipment in the room oh my to teach people to sew on, um, both industrial, um, domestic machines. We also have a commercial embroidery machine, and we now have two long-arm quilting machines in the room as well. 
Oh my gosh. So I love how it just started as just two women being like, you know what? I have this great idea. Let's do it. So like, okay, we need a hundred women because we need to make 200 pillows. <laughs> now you're in this massive space with what $150,000 worth of sewing equipment that you can use, which I just, I just love how it just started from this so small, like just an idea. And then yes. it became, really just an idea became something super massive. Absolutely. Um, I have so many questions based on what you just said, but I think the first question that I will ask kind of jumping back on what you said, you mentioned that you help specifically marginalized women. So you mentioned refugees, immigrants, um, veterans, uh, women who are incarcerated, homelessness, all of those things. Why that specific group of women and what do you, why is that important? And like, also how does sewing help and how do you help them beyond sewing if you do so? Absolutely. I think we have that focus in our room because we realize that it is a path towards emotional and financial dignity. You can make a decent living as a stitcher and we are overwhelmed with businesses in Kansas City that are looking to hire trained stitchers. And I think um, the community loves when nonprofits partner together. So we specifically reach out to other nonprofits who are dealing with the same people that find themselves in those at-risk situations. Nobody, nobody decides I'm going to be at risk. You find yourself in that situation. Mm-hmm. So we've created a path out of that situation. And in partnership with many other nonprofits in Kansas City who are doing the same thing, let's work together to make this happen. You know, we don't necessarily have childcare on site and those things, but let's partner with the organizations who can help with those things. And we'll focus on that workforce development and helping people to realize I can live a life filled with financial dignity by being a trained stitcher. Awesome. I know when um, I had visited your organization um, a couple months ago with my Rotary group. You mentioned, speaking of programs and whatnot, you mentioned you have different programs. Is it, do you have, and if you could elaborate, is it kind of like a couple week, couple month program? Can you do like a one-off thing? Like what is the structure you have to provide for these women to be able to succeed once they leave your organization? Absolutely. Well, it's kind of threefold. We offer basic sewing on domestic machines. Those courses run nine weeks and we offer two sessions. There's a a basic sewing part one and a basic sewing part two. And we really focus on the fundamentals. Then we have our workforce development program called the Sewing Salon Training Program. That is a one-year program, essentially. It's 30 weeks in the room covering both industrial machines and all the variations of industrial machines, along with domestic machines getting a little bit more in-depth on different um, techniques that you would use on those machines. Um, And then that also includes another 20 weeks as an apprentice in a business that we're partnered with that is looking to hire trained stitchers. And from there, when you complete that workforce development program, you can either go off and become an entrepreneur or you can work for one of these businesses that's looking to hire. During the salon training program, we also have a portion that's focused on what we call entrepreneurialism. So 
how do I set up a bank account? How do I deal with taxes? How do I deal with, should I be an LLC? Should I be a corporation? Mm -hmm. Um, How do I market myself? Um, That was part of what grew out of the Kauffman grant that we included. Um, What we use is the FDIC smart money program. Mm-hmm. Um, on for small businesses. And um, some people just love that aspect the most. And I think that's given a lot of people ideas of how they can take their business to the next level. And then the graduates mm-hmm. who've come through our program, we have a few of them that actually are working part-time for a sewing room in the greater Kansas City area. But then they also have their own what we call cut and sew businesses on the side um, mm-hmm. to help give them that life filled with financial dignity. Um, The other thing that happens in the room is that we've realized the wellness and the health benefits that come along with sewing. It is so good for your health, lowers your blood pressure, reduces your heart rate, reduces anxiety, um, lifts your spirits to the point that it puts you into creative flow, which some say is the key of happiness. And just touching that fabric um, can do so much for somebody. Um, that tactile experience is really beneficial. Um, so we, we realize that that health and wellness is huge, um, most especially during the pandemic. Um, we have amazing volunteers And during the height of the pandemic, we were partnered with over 267 safe-at-home volunteers who had machines, Mm -hmm. and we had the materials. We had fabric, we had interfacing, we had elastic when nobody else did, and we very organically found ourselves in the mask-making realm. And so we had um, put together kits which included all the materials to sew 12 masks. So we set up curbside operations and kind of touch free and got people um, 12 masks or some of them would take 24 or 36, you know, home. And then they'd sew safely at home, bring those masks back. And then we distributed those for free throughout the community to whoever needed them. Um, Uh, hospitals, hospices, daycares, police and fire departments, whoever needed masks, you know, we need 400, we need, you know, 300. And so we would get those masks to them in partnership with a few other nonprofits here in town. But so many people who were sewing masks would come back to us and say, you gave me a purpose in life when I was working on that. And so we do have some other community projects um, that have kind of grown out of that sort of community uh, mentality, if you will. We've had uh, someone who was homeless at one point in time who had this idea for a tote bag that imprinted on the one side is a map of Kansas City with little points of where you can go if you're homeless. And on the other side is resources for where I can go and who I have to call. And then they distribute those to the homeless camps for people to keep their most important documents in. But they also were filled with fleece hats and scarves that we had volunteers sewing or with personal care items, those kind of things. So another project, the fleece hats and scarves. Um, We've also done pillowcases for seniors at Christmas time. You know, we're all focused on children at Christmas and Mm -hmm. there's the seniors in low income senior living facilities in our community who have nobody visiting them. And when they get those pillowcases that our volunteers have sewn, 
they just brighten up. There's somebody's thinking about them. It's pretty amazing. So there's some other community projects that we've worked on. So I, I, I look at community as the heart of the sewing mm-hmm. labs. Um, it's amazing when we have someone who's, who will come into our room from one of the nonprofits we work with, and they've certainly experienced some trauma. And you see them come into the room, and their whole demeanor is very little eye contact. You know that they've been through some serious trauma. But within a week of being in the room, they're standing up straight, and they're beaming from ear to ear, and they're sharing what they've sewn in the room with others, and the other people in the room are sharing what they've sewn. And so this community gets built in this room that is just, it's amazing what happens here at the Sewing Labs. It's what I love about wow. the space. So, No, no, that's awesome. I really, one, I really appreciate the fact that besides teaching women or people who attend how to sew, you also are teaching them how to take that sewing skills that they learn. And if they so choose to start their own business, go off somewhere, that entrepreneurial aspect, I think, especially as, I think as women, sometimes as a society, we're not taught those things or we don't have access to those tools that can help us start our own business. Like a lot of it's so complicated, right? Like already, like if you don't grow up in a community where people start their own business or have a family that knows how to start their own business or have that ambition or spirit, the idea sounds pretty daunting, which I'm sure in reality it is been law ways not. But if you don't have that experience, you're probably like, Oh my gosh, like what am I doing? So I like the fact that you not only teach them skills, but you're just like, Hey, like, if you want to start your own business or do your own thing, here are some resources and tools that you can use, like teach them step by step. Because I think a lot of times, like we just like give people who are in these situations or trauma, just stuff. But in order for it to be sustainable, you have to give them like skills and tools that like they can use to go on. I think that's something that we forget about when we're trying to help people in the community. Absolutely. And I think there's a a fear in the community that we've experienced, you know, that, okay, I would love to be an entrepreneur, but I have this network of resources right now that's going to help me. And if I get so good, I'm going to lose those resources, which I think that's ultimately the goal. I think some people call it the cliff effect um, that, you know, okay, I've got food stamps right now. I've got things to keep my family afloat. But if I start to earn enough money, I'm going to get to that point where I'm going to lose those things. But you're going to get to that point where you're making enough money that you shouldn't have to worry about that. So Mm -hmm. um, encouraging people to understand how to grow their own business is a huge portion of what we do here uh, and really important that it's going to be okay. And I think the thing I love about the graduates that are in our pro that have come through our program, they also rely on us as a support system for them, not only Mm. with those entrepreneurial ideas about taking their business to the next step, but also just someplace to bounce ideas off of and, you know, projects that come their way. And should I take this? We actually have a gentleman who's come through our program. He came through another nonprofit here in town and went through our program. But his goal um, is to become a fine suit 
Taylor. So we, oh, wow. he was actually looking at businesses over in Italy and businesses over in England. Like, should I travel over there to apprentice with a, a fine suit tailor? And mm-hmm. we actually found him one here in Kansas City that he is now apprenticing with a fine suit tailor. But he'll come back in and he'll show us different practice projects that he's working on. And, and oh, wow. several of our graduates do that. They'll come back in and they... We like to think of the sewing labs as a safe space, a safe and supportive space. We want people to leave this room feeling like that was the best part of my day. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. And so I think because of that, we do get a lot of these graduates who come back in here for support. You know, I'm, I'm getting ready to take on this big job and how am I going to get this accomplished? And is this the right stitching approach that I need to take? And so they have somebody who's got their back, mm-hmm. if you will. And um, I love when our graduates come back and tell us that they love that supportive aspect of being in the room with us. Uh, we had um, we do a couple of soft fundraisers um, every year. Uh, we get a lot of in-kind donations of fabric and notions and sewing machines, but sometimes we have such an excess that we host a soft fundraiser where we give a lot of fabric away, and then we also accept donations by the pound for fabric, and it's mm-hmm. greatly greatly reduced uh, by the pound compared to the to the local fabric store, and so. Um, People come to that because they can get such bargains and such deals, but uh, again, feel supported. You know, some of them were like, is this the right machine I should get for what I want to do? And yeah, it's wonderful. That's an amazing community. Yeah. I just love the idea of one, it's a community and everyone's supporting each other. And two, it's a lot of mentorship. Like I feel like official mentorship and like unofficial mentorship too. Just the idea of the, like the aspect of just bouncing ideas around, being like, is this good? Is this not good? Like learning from others. That is super, super important. And that's awesome. Um, the next question I want to ask is why sewing? And I feel that's like a very simple and like basic question, but I feel some people are like, what? why would you be like, a, like why sewing, you know? And I know there's many aspects and it's very important, but I want you to explain to people who may have that question, like why sewing? Like why yeah. is it important? Right. In my mind, um, I believe it's a lost art. Um, sewing has been around forever. Um, I have an image that I share in a lot of presentations of, of bones that are crafted out of uh they're buffalo bones that are crafted into needles that are over Mm -hmm. 30,000 years old. So it's been around forever. We've, you know, we're all not walking around naked (laughs) (laughs) and it used to be taught in the school systems. Um, You know, just 40 years ago when I was in school, I had two years in junior high school of sewing that was part of home Mac. And I had another two years in high school of sewing and the school districts have taken that all out. Um, I think they fail to realize that it is a viable skilled trade. Um, And I think during the pandemic, a lot of us learned it's something that we need to know how to sew. Obviously when it came to masks, people needed to know how to sew. Um, sewing's had a real revitalization since the beginning of the pandemic but it is we we call it um a life skill for sure um and i can't tell you how many people i come across that um it's also 
good for our planet if people know how to sew. If you can upcycle, if you can repurpose, you're helping our planet. Um, the number two polluter in our world is fast fashion. So fast mm. fashion is um, a good example that I like to think about is those big box stores that have those $5 t-shirts and you love it because it's such a great deal, but that $5 t-shirt is so um, thin that it lasts you, if you're lucky, six months after washing it a few times. And so um, we've got to slow things down. And I think that's another reason why sewing is such a viable skill. There are people that they simply shop thrift stores to add accoutrements to an outfit and they upcycle it. We've also got to start thinking about what I call or what we like to call here generational clothing. Mm -hmm. We had a gal who came in here and she had the most beautiful wool blazer, but in the pocket she has a photo of her great grandmother wearing that beautiful wool blazer. Oh, and wow. so she's been able to keep that blazer pre preserved uh, and she continues to wear it. Um, whether it's fashionable or not. Everything that I'm wearing today is from a thrift store. I don't mind that it's the latest, greatest fashion. That's not, it's not important to me. It's more important to me that A, I'm covered, B, I'm warm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and so, I don't know. That's just kind of my two cents. Right. No, it makes sense. It, when you mentioned uh, the woman who who wears uh, is her grandmother's uh, like blazer. Nice. I have a I have a good friend of mine. Um, she has this awesome jean jacket that I think is amazing, and it's her grandmother's jean jacket that she wears, and it's cute. It's like practical. It's amazing, and that was like from I don't know eighties seventies whatever it was. Right. And I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh, like. But it's still once, I think, such in good, uh, like, it's still intact in such a good shape. So I think, one, it talks about how when we talk about fast fashion, I it's definitely different than, like, 10, 20, 30 years ago, where, like, the material back then was more quality. And now it's a lot about just selling it and shipping it off in the latest fashion. And I think also kind of the you mentioned, you mentioned, like, I don't care if it's the latest fashion or not. The thing about clothing is that, it kind of like comes back. Like all the fashion statements always end up coming back. So it's one of those things where like, if it's not cool now, it's going to come back in like five, 10 years. Like we see those trends all the time. Yes. It's like a revolving door. So yeah. it's one of those things where it's like, you could get the latest fashion true, but is there a way to help the environment and still look the way you want to look but not have to one spend money on fast fashion and to like ruin the environment. So I think people forget that like, like thrift stores are amazing. Like you just keep reusing it and you help the environment. And also, like I said, they come back, you know what yep. I mean? <laughs> yep. Absolutely. History repeats itself, right? Exactly. <laughs> well, um, you you meant, oh, sorry, I keep continuing. I was going to say, we're partnered with the Climate Council of Greater Kansas mm -hmm. City, um, mm -hmm. which is focused on, you know, um, uh, green initiatives, and they recently came to us with a connection with the State Department, um, where we are going to be hosting a fellow from um, Chile this summer. Oh, wow. And she is actually quite the upcycler. You ha when you look into what goes in 
to fast fashion and what happens. Some of those big box thrift stores box stuff up and they ship it overseas. And uh, this fellow who we're going to be hosting this summer, she has a video that she showed us and it's the coastline of Chile and this one beach in her community that has all of these clothes, much like we see the garbage dumps here, except it's mm-hmm. all clothes. And yeah. so she has started an, up, an upcycling venture and she has the opportunity to come here through the state department, kind of like an exchange student, if you will. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and so we're excited about that project that's going to be coming our way. Thanks. Thanks to the climate council that made us aware of that. And the climate council has uh, wonderful statistics that they keep on how fashion is the number two polluter in our world and what actually happens. Uh, all the microplastics that are, you know, thanks to polyesters and things like mm-hmm. that. So um, we love cottons in the room. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, one question, another question I want to ask is you mentioned briefly COVID-19. Um, look, COVID-19 changed everything. We don't have to dive into the pandemic. But how has, if I'm pretty sure you mentioned mask, how has COVID changed um I don't know, the format of your organization or who has come in. Have you seen these expand because of COVID, especially because of job losses? People are trying to make a change of career. Like what have you and your organization seen through COVID-19? Sure. Um, A couple of things. I think, um, A, we had to limit the number of people in our room. Mm -hmm. Um, Then we ended up closing our doors for a few months and, Um, During that process, the second thing that happened is we had to create a virtual opportunity, which is kind of fun teaching sewing virtually, but it can it can be done. Um, our partners at Literacy KC, the other nonprofit here in town that um, we work with our ESL students to teach sewing as a universal language, they loved our new 4,000 square foot space. They didn't have any issues bringing students into our new 4,000 square foot space. They were challenged with transportation in an enclosed van of those mm-hmm. students here to our space. They said, we can't, we can't, transport them to you. So could you create a virtual situation? And so we set up uh, uh, six or seven machines over at their space. They had a couple of machines. And then we had to figure out like, okay, how are we going to capture all this? We did it through Zoom, which worked really well. Um, But during the pandemic, we also started a partnership with a singer sewing machine company. Um, And that partnership, um, they donated machines to us, but they also asked us to create online content for them. And Mm -hmm. so we had to create a virtual situation for that as well. And we started out doing like four cameras and and they sent us this amazing switcher, which people in the gaming industry and in the television industry, they understand what a switcher is. And we're like, (laughs) we're like, thank you so much for this awesome piece of equipment. How do you use it? All right. <laughs> <laughs> and and so luckily I tapped into some really knowledgeable people here in Kansas City and they helped me figure that all out. So we had to become virtual for a while there. Um, but at the same time, Singer came back to us and they said, sewing mas- machine sales have skyrocketed during COVID because so many people are hunkered down. It's the same thing like with the um, uh, one of the 
flour companies uh, for bread baking. A lot of people mm-hmm. are at home, and so people started baking and so cooking. Many, I know so many people who made bread during the pandemic. I don't know why, but so many people did. <laughs> <laughs> yep, just that smell of yeast and baking, and so kind of a return to the basics, which I guess sewing really is kind of a return to the basics, too. So they said so many more people were buying sewing machines. They wanted us to start creating a lot more how-to videos. So we focused on certain machines, and then, you know, how do I thread this machine? How do I wind a bobbin? What's this bird's nest of thread on the top of my sewing project or on this on the bottom of my sewing project? Well, that's this kind of issue with your machine. So they ended up posting those short little how-to videos on their customers, well, on their YouTube channel. So their customer service people have someplace to guide people. Well, you know, if you're having trouble winding the bobbin, go check out this quick little how-to video on our YouTube channel. Uh, that was created by the sewing labs. And so um, that's guiding people who are new machine owners. I just talked to a woman earlier this morning. She's like, I just bought a brand new machine and I'm signed up to take basic sewing uh, at the sewing labs. And can I actually bring my new machine and we're, we love that. We have enough machines in the room for people to use. But when somebody has a machine of their own, you know, we like to encourage them to bring it with and learn on your own machine so you're most comfortable. The other thing that happens with machines when we're talking about upcycling here in the room, we try to re-gift donated machines to the students in our program so that they can continue to hone their craft from home. So that's kind of the first place a donated machine will go is to a student in the program so that they have something they can work on. Awesome. Um, And the last question I'll ask you, I'll wrap it up because I do want to respect your time, is where can people find you? How can people help the sewing labs? Can people donate? What can the people do if they're really interested and want to be a part of your Yeah. Absolutely. Well, we're trying to keep the legacy of sewing alive. So donations are always welcome. Um, absolutely. That's important to us. That's how we operate is on donations as a nonprofit. And um you can find us. Our website is the Sewing Labs. Labs is plural. Dot community. Uh, that throws a lot of people off. It's something I inherited when I stepped into the role. Uh, the Sewing Labs. Dot community. We're also on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Those are kind of the best ways to give us a follow. Um, and on our website, the Sewing Labs. Dot community. There's a donate page if somebody wants to support it. Um, we've actually had people who've sent us fabric um, from all over the country because they know that we're going to put it to work in, the, in our classroom and allow people to upcycle that. So we accept in-kind donations of fabric and notions and sewing machines. Um, so, yeah. Awesome. Well, Eileen, I want to thank you so much for letting me take some of your time to interview you, but I really thought your work was super important. And I feel I'd be remiss to like kind of end our Women's History Month series without talking to you and how you and your colleagues are empowering, especially women in the community to be self-sufficient, to be independent and to have a new skill, which as you kind of mentioned is a dying art, but most importantly is very, very important because everything we own pretty much for the most part, that's fabric from what car seats, clothes, masks, someone had to sew it, right? So I- just want to thank you again for let me have time and I will insert all the information that you mentioned to get in contact with you in the sewing labs um, in the bio of the podcast link. But 
Yeah. Thank you so Fantastic. much. Fantastic. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Well, everyone, I'm Leo Kadiachwafe, and you're listening to Andre Lamont. Stay hydrated, take your vitamins, and remember to always come as you are. Bye for now.